Good morning. My name is Bobby, and I want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers who are with us this morning. We love you. We appreciate you. We're glad that we can celebrate you today. Um, This morning, we are beginning a three-week series that will take us through the month of May entitled Worship, Gathered and Scattered. Um, Our aim in this series over the next few weeks is to explain why it is that we come together each Sunday and meet together to do the things that we do, and how this gathering, this hour and a half, two hours on a Sunday morning, shapes our lives in between Sundays. Today, this morning, I want to talk about the purpose of this gathering. Next week, Pastor Andrew is going to come and explain why reading and listening to and teaching the scriptures is central to, the, to our worship gatherings. And then in week three, I'm going to come back to give some extru- instruction and some perspective on singing and lifting our voices in worship. We often use the word, the term worship, as a shorthand for uh, music and for singing, and that's part of worship, but, it, but not the whole. The Bible doesn't give us a formal definition of worship, but simply put, for our purposes here, worship is our response to God's glory. Worship is our response to the way God has communicated himself, revealed himself to us. Uh, There are four paradoxes that are behind this series on worship that I think are really helpful for us, things that we have to hold in tension when we think about worship. Um, And these come from Mark Grogup, who's the pastor up the street at at College Park Church, and I found these really helpful um, to, to, as a way of introduction, to keep these in mind as we talk about worship over the next few weeks. The first paradox is that worship is ordinary and special. Ordinary and special. Meeting together for worship each Sunday is a normal rhythm for us and for tens of millions of people around the globe. A weekly worship service, whether it's Sunday morning or Saturday night or Saturday, whenever it happens during the week, the time of coming together to worship corporately is a normal rhythm. For many of us, it's just as much a part of our schedule as going to work or going to school. It's ordinary. It's normal. It's part of our our weekly routine, but we also have to recognize how unique this gathering is. That there's no other meeting, there's no other gathering in our schedule that's quite like this. It's ordinary and it's special. Worship is also personal and it's corporate. It's personal and corporate. Many of us engage in acts of worship throughout the week. You know, we we sing, we pray, we listen to or read the scriptures, and each of those acts of worship refocuses our attention to the person and work of God in our lives. 
Fortunately, we can customize each of those acts of worship. We can customize a playlist of music that fits our musical taste. We can listen to the scriptures in a, in a voice and in a translation that we prefer. We can write out our prayers or we can speak our prayers, whichever we prefer. Individually, we are called to worship, but there's also something special and really important about the corporate nature of the church and coming together to worship. And Nate mentioned this earlier, the metaphors in scripture that are used, household, temple, priesthood, a chosen race, holy nation, a body. Each of these reflect that we are individuals who worship, but we are also part of a larger community that worships. Worship is personal and it's corporate. Worship is also inward and it's outward. It's inward and it's outward. Worship is a heart orientation. Worship forms us spiritually. It shapes our desires and our affections and our dreams. But it is also outward, meaning that it's not just individually focused. Worship is missional. Our worship of God reflects the true nature of God. And it propels us out into the world, into our society, to engage with our culture. Worship is inward and it's outward. And finally, worship is unifying. And unfortunately, worship can be controversial. It's unifying and it can be controversial. Look around this room. I mean, we've got different backgrounds and personalities and interests represented, represented here. We have different skin tones and different cultures represented here. This is a beautiful thing. I mean, where else in our society do people who are this different come together in unity in this way? This is beautiful. When we gather, we affirm that there's something that's more powerful than our individuality. There's something that's more powerful than our particular group identity. But as we know, worship can also be a cause for controversy. Music styles and aesthetics and order of service and communion elements and the style of the preacher can also divide people. These are tensions that we hold. These are paradoxes that we acknowledge when we think about worship. So why this series? Why are we doing this series on worship? Well, some of you have asked for it. Hey, could you explain a little bit more why we do this? Could you give us some instruction about how to do it? And we want to honor that request. But also, just considering the last few years that we've had as a society and how that's affected our worship gathering and church attendance and people that are struggling to find a church home and to figure out what it means to gather together, we feel like this is a good time to level set to talk about what is the purpose of gathering together and what are our expectations for meeting together. This morning, the text I want to be in is Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, it'll be up here on the screen, and there's also some Bibles around you that you can make use of. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters... 
Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that brings faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, we ask that this time you would unite our hearts, that your spirit would speak to us, um, that you would open our, our ears to hear what you would have to say to us, that you would encourage us, you would challenge us. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This letter to the Hebrews might have actually been one long sermon that was to be read but it was written to Jewish converts to Christianity, probably living in the city of Rome. It was written about 30 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. It was written to Christians who were feeling cultural opposition and pressure from fellow Jews to return back to the ways and the practices of Judaism. And it's apparent when you read this letter that this was a real temptation that these believers were struggling with. They were tempted to give in to this pressure. Some of them were tempted because of it to give up following Jesus. The aim of this letter was to encourage these believers to be faithful and to endure hardships because Jesus is worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. The chapters leading up to this passage that we just read focus on Jesus' worthiness, focuses on the supremacy of Jesus, that Jesus established a new covenant between God and his people, that Jesus created a new sanctuary, making God's presence accessible to all people, and that Jesus offered himself as a better sacrifice, as a once and for all sacrifice. And so in verse 25 of Hebrews 10, when the author encourages these believers to not give up meeting together, it is because of these realities. It is because of what Jesus has done. That is the purpose of our meeting together. We meet together to rehearse and respond to the gospel. We meet together for the purpose of rehearsing and responding to the gospel. So let's start with that rehearsing. What what are we rehearsing when we gather here together? Well, in this passage that we just read, there are four aspects of the gospel that we rehearse. The first, we have confidence to be in God's presence. Look at verse 19 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Have you ever been in a situation where you look around and you think, man, I'm not supposed to be here. (laughs) I I don't belong here. 
When I was in college, um, President George W. came to my campus. Um, and it was a big deal because presidents didn't normally stop in Huntington, West Virginia. But he was coming to our campus, and I had a friend that worked in one of the local political offices that got me and my girlfriend at the time tickets to this, uh, this event with George W. So I remember it was a cold, it was a rainy day. We stood outside for a couple of hours um, waiting to get into the Performing Arts Center. Finally, they opened up the door. Um, we make our way in and we walk up to like the standing room only section and it was packed. And so we were just trying to get up to the rail to try to find a good spot. And um, we'd been there for probably about five minutes and I, and I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around and I look up at this large man in a suit with an American flag pin and an earpiece. And I thought, oh no. And he said, sir, would you and your friend please come with me? And we looked at each other like, what in the, you know? And so we follow this guy downstairs and he walks us right down the center aisle of the auditorium in front of everybody else. He walks us around to the side of the stage and begins to walk us up on the stage. And we walk up on the stage and he points at two seats and says, these are your seats for the event. And this was before I knew it probably wasn't a good idea to question a Secret Service agent. And I said, I don't think this is right. These aren't our seats. And he just looked at me and pointed and said, sir, these are your seats for the event and walked away. And so, so we sit down and I'm looking and we're up on this stage with all of these local dignitaries and the president of the university and the student council president and all of these special people that are going to be speaking. And I'm thinking, what in the world are we doing up here? Like, I don't belong here. I look up in the rafters and there's a sniper up there and there's secret service agents standing next to me. And then I get a text from the friend who got us the tickets and it just said, how do you like the seats? We were there because someone else was supposed to be there. We were sitting in a place where we felt like we didn't belong because someone else had made it possible for us. Here's my big transition. <laughs> we have confidence to enter the presence of God because of Jesus Christ. We have confidence to enter a place that we may not feel like we belong because we belong there. We belong there. We belong because Jesus made it possible. And we don't cower in fear. Because as the author wrote just a few verses earlier, Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Even though we're not perfect now, even though we know and we feel our imperfection, when we step into God's presence because of Jesus Christ, we step in as perfect people. God sees us as being complete because we are in Jesus. Each Sunday when we gather together, we remind each other that we come and we have access to God. We have access to God and we can be known by him and know him. Amen. Secondly, we rehearse that we have perfect and a, a perfect and permanent sacrifice 
through Jesus. Look at verse 19 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. This is atonement. This is the reparation for our sin that Jesus, his blood, his sacrifice made. Remember, we, when we went through our foundations series several months ago, we talked about this from Hebrews, that these sacrifices were being made continuously in the tabernacle and temple. Every day, the sights and sounds and smells of death were commonplace. Blood was everywhere. Things were stained by blood. It was a daily reminder that God would not fully be satisfied and that no offense could ever be fully taken away. But Jesus' death changed all of that. Changed all of that. When we enter God's presence, we enter with confidence and we enter with freedom. We don't enter with guilt. We don't enter with shame. We don't enter with this feeling like, hey, I've got to make this right because Jesus already did. When we gather together, we rejoice. We rejoice together that our sin debt has been paid in full, that Jesus did something that we could not do. And we remind each other of that every single week when we gather together. We also remind each other that we have a new relationship with God. Verse 20, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. This imagery here is of the temple curtain that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the temple. A place where God's presence dwelt. A place where only the high priest could go in. Only one day a year after an elaborate ceremony of, of ritual cleansing. The message was clear. People can come this close to God, but no closer. Jesus removed the separation. Jesus removed the separation. Through him, he made a new way. For us to have a new relationship with God. This is that new covenant. No longer is it these outward expressions of circumcision and, and rituals that, that allow us to approach God. But he has transformed our hearts. God's presence lives in us, shaping us from the inside out. This is a new relationship. And each Sunday when we gather, we rehearse that transformation power to each other. We talk about it, we sing about it, we share it, we pray for it. We remind each other that Jesus has made a way and has created a new relationship for us with God. And lastly, we have an advocate in the heavenly places. We have an advocate in the heavenly places. Verse 21, we have a great high priest over the house of God. The risen Christ is seated at the right hand of God, advocating our behalf. A risen Christ who understands our sufferings. A risen Christ who understands what it means to live in this world. A risen Christ who is praying for us. He is sovereign over the events of our lives and of this world. And each Sunday, we rehearse that truth that reality to each other, 
that God is in control, that he is sovereign over our lives, but he's not distant. distant. He understands, and he is pleading on our behalf. He is praying for us. He is our advocate. When we meet together, we rehearse these gospel truths. We have confidence to enter God's presence because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. We can know God personally and be fully known by him. The reason that we do that each week is because the lies of the enemy are powerful, are powerful. I mean, if you've heard me say this once, you've heard it a thousand times. The devil has little real power in this world apart from the lies that he tells and the power that is uh, is released when those lies are believed. His lies undermine the truths of the gospel. His lies are designed to create distance between us and God. And we rehearse the truths of the gospel to strengthen our commitment, to strengthen our minds, to remind us of what is really true. But we also do it each week because we're forgetful people. We forget. That reminds me of what Jesus said in that parable of the sowers in Mark 4. When he said that some of the, the, the seed is sown on, um, on ground where there are thorn plants. And that um, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and they choke the word out. So it doesn't bear fruit. We need to hear the story of the gospel again and again and again because we are in danger of forgetting. We're in danger of being distracted. We're in danger of putting our value and our affections towards other things. That's why we come together each week is to remind ourselves of what is true, what God has done, is doing, and will continue to do for us and in this world. But after we have rehearsed, we respond. We respond to the gospel each week. In the remaining verses of this passage, there are three let us exhortations. The first is let us draw near. Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The truth we rehearse encourages us to draw near to God. It encourages us to draw near to him. And I love the words that are used here, in sincerity and with assurance. Sincerity and insurance. I can come with no pretense. I can draw near to God without self-protection. I can come without guilt, or without shame. The truth of the gospel invites us to come as we are, fully known, with the assurance that God will welcome us. With the assurance that God will welcome us. So when we come together and gather in worship, we reflect that in our relationships with each other. We come and we respond to the gospel because we're not here to impress anybody. We're not here to keep up appearances. We don't hold each other to unrealistic expectations or to our own standards for how they should be. We show each other grace. 
We extend mercy and we make it possible in this place each week for each of us to show up and meet with God, to encounter his presence and to respond to him. We respond to the gospel by drawing near to our God and inviting each other to do the same. We also respond by holding fast. Look at verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. One of the things I love about our gatherings is that we hold space here for the really hard things of life. Many of you have stood up here with mic in hand and wept and cried out to God and shared difficult things that are going on in your life. And this group of people have contained those emotions and have sat with you in them. But in the midst of the hard, we also need to be reminded of our hope. We need to be encouraged and strengthened by the hope that we have in Jesus, that God is good, that God will deliver us, that God will make things right, that God is in control. One of the primary contributors to the growth of the early church was their commitment to meeting together week after week for worship. The consistent practice of corporate worship created resilience and strengthened their hold on hope. As one historian put it, in their worship services, these early Christians believed that they encountered God who was active, sovereign, and unpredictable. God, known to them through Jesus Christ, whose words and ways were often surprising, was unconventional and was making them unconventional. Christians claimed that through their worship services, God changed them and strengthened them to cope with the precarious realities and daunting problems of daily living. I love that. That God, who was unconventional, was making them unconventional through these gatherings together. When we come together and worship and hold on to the hope that we have, we are being unconventional in this age. We are proclaiming hope. We are proclaiming resiliency. We are looking forward to something. And that is unconventional. That is unconventional. We respond to the gospel by holding fast to hope. How many times has this happened for you? That you've shown up here for a gathering and a word, a song, a scripture, a prayer has lifted you up, has encouraged you in the midst of something hard, has challenged you to keep on going. That's why we gather together and that's how we respond to the truth of the gospel. We hold on to the hope together. And then finally, we respond by considering how. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur on or stir up. The Greek word here means to incite or to provoke. When we show up here on a Sunday morning to gather for worship, we are to be a bunch of instigators. A bunch of instigators stirring things up. That our words to each other, that our actions to each other 
are designed to get a response. And what is that response? Giving and receiving love and doing good. That's what we do when we gather together. We look at those around us. We notice what's going on. We are aware of what's happening in each other's lives. And we look for opportunities to stir up love and to stir up good deeds. Gathering for worship isn't about coming to get my needs met. It's not coming to get out of this what I want to get out of it. It's about drawing near to God and inviting each other to do the same. That's why we come to experience him and to make space for each other to experience him by caring for each other's needs and collaborating for good. These are the reasons that the author gives for not giving up meeting together. Corporate worship is for rehearsing and responding to the gospel. Two things that are vitally important for our growth, and for our resiliency in this world. And apparently some in Rome didn't believe that. They didn't believe it was important. They didn't see it as vital. And they just quit showing up. The author says, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Show up. Commit to meeting together. To respond to the gospel to rehearse the gospel all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus' return. I mean, this is much, as much of a, a, this is realism. There is realism here in this exhortation because we know the longer we live, the harder life gets, the more we need to gather together to rehearse and respond to the gospel. That's the exhortation here. This is how we survive. This is how we thrive. This is how we do that together. This is why we have structured our worship gatherings the way that we have. We call it our liturgy, which is just a word for the order of our service. That's why each week we call each other to worship. We confess together. We proclaim our assurance. We pass the peace to one another. We share in the communion of Jesus Christ together. We give. Each of these facilitates our rehearsal and response to the gospel. That's why we do it the way that we do it. But let me talk really quickly about our benediction. We call it our good word for the road. We do it each and every week. We gather to worship. Then we scatter to worship. Our purpose in gathering together on Sundays is to rehearse and respond to the gospel, which is the same purpose of our lives in the days in between Sundays, to rehearse and respond to the gospel. What we do here corporately together is an expression of our lives outside of this place. We carry these truths with us. And we respond to these truths in the warp and woof of our life each and every day in our neighborhoods, in our networks, our jobs, our schools, our ball fields, wherever we are. 
what we do here is an expression of our lives in all of those places. Let me challenge you to consider two things as I close. Two things in light of this. We gather together each week to rehearse and respond to the truths of the gospel. My first challenge is this. Would you take some time to prepare your heart for this gathering each week? Listen, I know it's crazy on Sunday mornings, especially for those of us who have kids. And by the time we show up, we're doing a lot of repenting in this service (laughs) because of the hours before. I also know that it's just hard on a Sunday morning to want to get up and go, to want to get out of bed and get moving after a a tough week or a busy Saturday. So maybe it's Saturday night before bed. Maybe it's Sunday morning in the shower. Would you take some time each week to pray? To pray that the Spirit would prepare your heart to come here to rehearse and respond to the gospel. To pray for those leading our music to pray for those guiding our liturgy, to pray for the preaching, to pray for those who are instructing our kids. Pray that the Spirit will encourage who needs encouraging. Pray that the Spirit would challenge who needs challenging. Pray that the Spirit would comfort who needs comforting. Would you commit to pray and to prepare your hearts to gather together each week? And then secondly, would you think of how you can encourage someone today or this week with what we've talked about. Now talk about these aspects of the gospel with your kids over lunch today or with your roommates this week. Look for someone in your community, someone that you work with, one of your neighbors, one of your classmates that may not have a church home and invite them to come and to experience God, to meet with him to rehearse and to respond to the gospel. When we invite other people to come on Sunday morning, we're not trying to get them here so we can get something out of them or so that they can have some awesome experience that makes them want to give us money. What we're doing is we're inviting them to come and draw near to God with others who are coming to draw near to God, to be strengthened by the truth of the gospel. And let that truth reshape how they live their lives. That's why we gather together each week. That's why it's important for us to gather together each week. We could all be doing something else with our time. But we choose to come here. Because we know that this is what we need. To grow. And to be strong. And to thrive in this world. As we come to our time of communion, we do this together. This is a a physical act that reminds us of the truths of the gospel. It reminds us that Jesus on the cross did something that we could not do for ourselves. It reminds us that by his body and by his blood, we can know God and be known by him. So let's do this this morning in remembrance of him. 
Christ's body broken for you and his blood shed for you. Thanks be to God. Do you stand with me? I just want to take a minute and allow us to reflect on these things. Lord, we humbly acknowledge that each and every Sunday we come here without having to give a thought to our own personal safety, the situations that are going on around us, the dangers that we might face. And we know that that's not the case for many, many brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. We count it a privilege that we are able to gather here together in this way, in freedom. And we take this time to pray for our family in other parts of the world. And we pray that you would strengthen them, you would encourage them, you create resiliency in the face of hardship, in the face of danger, that their gatherings be a place, continue to be a place where they experience you, the transformation of the gospel. And it would strengthen them to go back out and face their world and their situation. We pray that we would take these words to heart. Pray that I would take them to heart. Thank you for this group of people. Thank you that we can worship together in this way. 